Shall we turn for a few moments this evening to the passage from Paul's letter to the Galatians which we read together. Galatians chapter 1 and reading again from verse 3. Galatians chapter 1 and the third verse. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father to whom be glory forever and ever I'm sure that all of us can remember how just a few weeks ago in the second half of August the entire nation was shocked by the Hungerford massacre, by these terrible acts of Michael Ryan. Nothing like it was ever known before in the United Kingdom. Our national newspapers devoted pages to the story and television newscasts were dominated by it. Now people die by the thousands every day but apart from the relatives and friends immediately concerned such deaths make little impact upon society. Thousands are killed on our roads and in industrial accidents every year but again these deaths tend to impinge on the public consciousness only as statistics. And the many more who die of natural causes every day are not of even statistical interest to the general public. Jonathan Swift, the essayist of a former generation, foresaw that only a few people would mourn him when, they die, when he died and they only for a little while. The rest will give a shrug and cry, he wrote, I'm sorry, but we all must die. But the Hungerford deaths were different, making an impact upon the nation unknown since the Aberfan disaster of, of 20 years ago. Not even such emotional impacts, even as these, will continue to hold their power because eventually they also will be forgotten. And so we are reminded by that massacre that some deaths are different from others in the impact that they have upon men and women and upon human society and we are reminded that there is one death above all others the death of Jesus Christ which is quite different quite different from every other death different both in terms of the nature of the event and also of its impact. He died for our sins is the message of the New Testament. And the New Testament tells us that the death of Jesus Christ is unique. It was, in the words of John Owen, the death of death. It was different from any other. And the impact it had made continues centuries later. 
And so tonight we look at the death of Jesus. Look at it insofar as we are able to look at that mysterious act and see it as an act of atonement, a unique event, the nature of which was quite unlike the nature of any other death. And we shall look at it also in the light of its impact, of its efficacy upon the lives of men and women, not only who witnessed it, not only who read about it in these early years and months, but even today it continues to have an impact all over the world upon people of every language and people of every culture. The Christian Gospel claims that the death of Jesus Christ is unique, but it's different from every other death. And Paul explains why it is different, how the death of Jesus is different from the deaths at Hungerford, from the deaths on the road, from those from deaths that are peaceful in beds at home or in hospital. The death of Jesus is different, says Paul, because there he gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God and our Father. So tonight I want us to notice from these verses three things about the death of Jesus which make it different from any other death, however horrific the impact that death may have had. The death of Jesus is unique both in its nature and in its impact. First of all, the death of Jesus is unique because it was no mere accident. Accidental death comes unexpected and unsought. People are killed accidentally on the roads every day of the year. My last visit to Inverness was just over a week ago, and on the way up early in the morning I saw a car which had been in an accident, and I read in the newspaper the next day that a man had died. A man travelling to Inverness, expecting to arrive, and he never did, because of an accident. Something happened which was, as far as he was concerned, totally unforeseen and unsought. Now there are some, of course, who say that the death of Jesus was an accident. They point to the fact that it was a miscarriage of justice. They tell us that it was a good example of an accidental execution, the fear of which turns so many people today against capital punishment. They tell us that if Pilate had been a stronger character, if he'd been more concerned with justice and with his own political promotion, then the death of Jesus would not have happened. It's an accident, they say. It is true, of course, that the death of Jesus was a gross miscarriage of justice. It was a legal blunder that nowhere do we read in the New Testament that the apostles or the early Christians interpreted, interpreted it to be an accident. They admitted that it was a miscarriage of justice, but not that it happened by chance. Peter, when he proclaimed the gospel for the first time on the day of Pentecost, declared that Jesus Christ had been delivered up by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And Paul, in these words here, at the beginning of what may well have been his earliest epistle, 
tells us how that Jesus died on purpose. He tells us that Jesus gave himself to the cross of Calvary. In verse 4, our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. And as we read the Gospels we discover that death did not take Jesus by accident. Jesus knew that he was going to die. In fact he foretold on several occasions his death to his disciples before warned them. For some strange reason they were unable to hear that message that that message was given to them. He told them that he was going to die. He told them that his hour would come. The Son of Man, he said, came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so death for Jesus was a choice, not a fate. I have power, he said, both to lay down my life and to take it again. No one takes it from me. I give it. And when he went to the cross of Calvary, he gave himself. As Peter tells us, he bore our sins in his own body up to the tree. He went deliberately, consciously, purpose, purposefully to Jerusalem and he went to die. He was born that he might die. And Paul underlines this when he says in verse 4 that Jesus a died, gave himself for our sins according to the will of God and our Father. Not only Paul tells us that Jesus chose to die, but it was the will of God his Father that he should die. It was according to the will of God. Was, as Peter said, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Far from being a thing of chance, the death of Jesus was foreordained by the Father. The prophet Isaiah foreseeing the death of the Messiah declared many centuries before it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It was the Lord's will that he should die. He was the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. It was his destiny to die. It was not simply his choice. It was his destiny. It was the will of the Father. And Paul tells us that the death of Jesus is thus unique. Although his death was a violent death, although his death was a miscarriage of justice, although his death was a legal blunder, it was no mere accident. It was a death which was at the center of the purpose of God for the human race for all eternity. And so the death of Jesus Christ was different because in that death God did something which was unique and which he has not done in the death or in the life of anyone else. Jesus chose to die and he died because it was the will of the Father. That's the first thing that we see, the first a aspect of the uniqueness of the death of Jesus. It was no mere accident. The second thing that we notice here is that the death of Jesus was no common statistic. It was no common statistic. The only lasting influence that most deaths have is to push up the fatal statistics one notch further at the end of the year. Our age is an age which is obsessed with statistics. We think of the influence of death almost exclusively in statistical terms. 
and at the end of each year or the beginning of the following year a calculation is made about the number of road accidents, the number of people who have died on the road, the number of people who have died from lung cancer, the number of people who have died from murder or from, from, from hunger. And there are some people who have a statistical interest in death. And no doubt to the Roman officials who were responsible for the death of Jesus, his death was only a statistic. He was one more victim of the ruthless imperial policy of Rome, which maintained law and order at any price throughout the empire. The death of Jesus by crucifixion was not unique. Literally thousands of Jews were crucified as part of this policy. And so for them, the death of Jesus was just one more. One more of several thousand Jewish crucifixions during that period of colonial history in Palestine. But Paul tells us here that the death of Jesus for Christian people is of infinitely more significance than that of a single digit in the statistical archives in Rome. His death, he tells us, was like like no other death. It was the death of death. His death was unique because he gave himself for our sins. He died on the cross of Calvary to bear our sins in his own body, as Peter says, on the tree. He died for our sins, not for his own sins, because he had none. And this he was unique, unlike the other victims who died on either side. They were criminals who in terms of the, Jew, of the Roman law of the time were receiving their just, just deserts. But Jesus was dying as one who was innocent, and not only as one who was innocent, but as one who was sinless. And he was dying there because he was bearing, he was taking, he was accepting, he was absorbing the sins of others. He died on the cross of Calvary because he took our sins. He gave himself, says Paul, for our sins and when Jesus died upon the cross it was not merely that he took the burden of our sin and bore it upon his own shoulders he did more than that he made atonement for our sins he exhausted the burden he exhausted the curse he absorbed it he he did away with it the punishment which is due to us for our sins he himself absorbed and because he was both God and man he was able in his unique person to absorb the wrath and the curse of God due to us he absorbed it and he exhausted it and we can say that the wrath of God was burnt out in him he died for our sins and the language that Paul uses here is very similar to that which is used in the Old Testament of the sin offering And Paul is using here the language of sacrifice. He's using here the language of atonement. He took the punishment of our sins. He was cursed for us, as Paul tells us later in this epistle. He carried our sins, not merely in assuming their burden, but in assuming our liability and in receiving the punishment due to us for our sins. And so the death of Jesus was no common statistic, it was unique. 
Not only that he chose to die, not only that it was the will of God for him to die, but that in his death he bore our sins in his own body, not only as a burden, but as a sacrifice. And he made atonement through his life and through his death and through his blood. He bore in his own soul God's judgment for you and for me. He bore that judgment in himself. He bore it there on behalf of all his people. He absorbed in himself the judgment which we deserve. Rightly then, John Owen said, the death of Jesus was the death of death. It was unique, it was different from any other death. It was no common statistic. It was unique, it was different. Because he bore, he the innocent, the sinless one, bore our sins in his own body. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And God took our sins and he laid them upon Christ on the cross of Calvary. And there he made atonement for our sins. He gave himself for our sins as a sacrifice for our sins in order that the guilt of our sins might be absor absorbed in him, in order that it might be atoned for, so that for all who are in Christ, for all who believe in him, that guilt no longer exists. And the moment we believe in Christ, that guilt disappears, that barrier, that burden, that enormous millstone around our necks disappears. The moment we believe in Christ, because Christ has borne it on behalf of all who believe in him, he has made atonement on the cross of Calvary. Yes, the death of Jesus was no mere accident, it was no common statistic. And thirdly, we learn from these words that the death of Jesus was no tragic anti-climax. The death of Jesus was no tragic anti-climax. When a young man or a young woman dies in the full vigor of life, we say, what a tragedy. We say, what a tragedy that such a life was suddenly cut short in its time. And there is inevitably a terrible sense of anticlimax, of incomplete, of incompletion, when some young life is struck down. There's that sense of unfulfillment, of anticlimax. And this, to be true, is to be fair, is how Jesus' disciples felt at first in the night of the crucifixion. They regarded initially the death of Jesus as such an anticlimax. They saw the cross as the symbol of bitter defeat. We thought, they said, talking one to another, we thought that it was he who would have redeemed Israel who would have set Israel free from the Romans. But that sense of anticlimax quickly disappeared when Jesus appeared to them, having risen from the dead. The resurrection transformed this apparent sense of defeat into victory. And Peter could stand up. The Peter who had denied Jesus three times. The disciples who had forsaken him and fled could stand up and face the authorities on the day of Pentecost and declare, 
that this Jesus whom you have crucified God has declared to be both Lord and Christ. Paul here tells us that the death of Jesus was not a defeat, it was not an anticlimax. Rather, he says it was a deliverance. He gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. He tells us that the death of Jesus was God's means of delivering men and women from the bondage of sin. And the word that he uses here and the word which is, which is translated deliver means literally to rescue. It's the word which was used by Stephen in his sermon in Acts chapter 7 of Israel uh, being delivered from, from slavery in Egypt, uh, of Israel being delivered from, from, from slavery in Egypt. It is the word which is used also in the Acts of the Apostles of Peter being set free from prison and of Paul being set free from the lynch mob uh, who sought to kill him in chapter 23 and this is the idea that Paul is communicating here God, Christ gave himself for our sins in order that he might rescue us in order that he might set us free in order that he might deliver us and so this the death of Jesus was no tragic anticlimax but the beginning of a great act a great drama of redemption a great drama of deliverance it was part of a great rescue mission on the part of the Son of God who came into this world to seek and to save those who are lost. And in fact some commentators believe that this word deliver is the keynote of this whole letter. The deliverance of Christ. The way in which he can deliver not only from the guilt of sin but from the bondage of legalism. From the bondage of, 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 of being slaves to fashion as well as sla slaves to the past. He came to deliver us from this present evil age because that's what the world the word world means here and so Christ came to effect a deliverance through his death he is able to deliver men and women today far from his life work being cut short and frustrated by his death rather his life work was fulfilled through it he came to die the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. He died for our sins upon the cross. This is why he came. He came and in his death he fulfilled God's plan to establish this rescue mission. There in the cross he found the lost men and women that he came to seek and to save. And in particular, Paul tells us here that he came to deliver us from this present evil age. Now the Bible tends to think of time in two main tenses. It thinks of this age or this world and that world. We think of the saying of Jesus, for example, in Luke's Gospel, the children of this world marry and are given in marriage, but they who shall be uh, accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Now we don't need to note the context of, in which Jesus is speaking, but he is speaking there of the children of this world 
and contrasting them with the children of that world. There's this world and there's that world. Or more correctly, this age and that age. And the Bible thinks in these terms of this age which began with, 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 with the creation of the human race and the new age which will begin when Jesus Christ comes again and he will establish a new heavens and a new earth there's this age and there's that age and what Paul says here is that when Jesus died upon the cross he died not only for our sins as a sacrifice to make atonement for our sins but he died also to deliver us to rescue us from this present evil age because this age in which we live is an age which is identified with sin it is identified with natural desire it is identified with immorality it's identified with corruption it's identified uh, with lawlessness and when Christ came to, to die for our sins he not only died to save us from the consequences from the penalty of our sins but he came to save us from the lifestyle of sin he came to save us from, from, from lives which are dominated by sin he came to save us from this present evil age and he came in order that he might save us for that new age which is to come and so in his death the Lord Jesus Christ came not only to deliver us from something but to deliver us into something and so we have this contrast right through the New Testament between this present age which is characterized by sin and by death and the new age which is characterized by righteousness and by life, eternal life the gospel also tells us that although that age to come will be consummated at the beginning at, at, the, at the beginning of the new age at the advent of Jesus that although it will be consummated then there is a sense in which it has begun now and there is a sense in which in the life of believers the two ages overlap and a Christian is someone who is a citizen of both ages he belongs to the old age in virtue of his sin he belongs to the new age in virtue of Christ and he belongs to both while he is here in this life and so we can say that the new age has not yet fully come and that the old age has not yet passed away but there is a sense in which the new age has come it has begun and that's why Paul says in his letter to the, to the Corinthians if any man be in Christ there is a new creation he is, he, he, all things have become new he passes from death to life he passes out of one age into the other that's why Paul uses dramatic terms of people being transplanted being lifted being transformed out of one age into another and when we believe in Jesus Christ we become citizens of the new age we become the inheritors of eternal life you see eternal death was absorbed by Christ upon the cross because when he died there he bore not only the, the, the physical death which was inflicted by the Roman nails and by the excruciating pain of crucifixion he absorbed there the death which is the curse of sin 
He absorbed there the death of deaths. He absorbed there hell itself. He absorbed there the curse of God upon us for our sins. So that when we believe in him and are in him, we are delivered from that curse. We are set free and we become citizens of the new age. We pass from death into life. And so you see the death of Jesus far from being an end, a tragic cut-off before his time was in fact the beginning it was in fact the inauguration of a new era it was not an end but a beginning not a tragedy but a great and glorious act in which he initiated an age which will have its fulfillment and come to its flower and its consummation in the new heavens and in the new earth from which sin and death and corruption will be banished and in which love and peace and faith and hope and good works will flourish. And so the death of Jesus Christ, we are reminded here, was no tragic anticlimax. It was the beginning of a new era, the beginning of a new creation, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I wonder tonight, to which creation do we belong? Are we citizens of this age only? Have we become citizens of that age which has already begun and which is still to come? It is possible by the grace of God tonight to step out of one age into the other. It is possible to be delivered right out of one age into the other it is possible tonight to make the transfer between one age and the other and it is possible because Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures it is possible because not only did Christ die and in his death effect a unique atonement for our sins but because from that death flows today a power and an efficacy and a virtue which can lift men and women out of their sins and bring them into eternal life and so the death of Jesus I repeat is unique not only because of what it is but because of what it does it is unique not only because of what God and Christ put into it but also because of what God and Christ caused to flow from it. And that is why Paul could say to the Corinthians that the message which he preached of the cross of Christ was the power of God unto salvation. Because from that unique event down through the centuries and across the cultures flows a power which can transform human destiny which can lift men and women out of their bondage, sorrow and night and bring them into newness of life, bring them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, bring them out of this age into that age. And the promise of the gospel is that that power which initiated at the cross of Calvary, that power which comes from that fountain, which comes from that, from that dynamo, 
that power is flowing tonight flowing to us through the gospel and we are being invited to lay hold upon that power we are being invited to take advantage of it we are being invited to turn to Christ in order that we might experience that power and know what it is to be lifted to be delivered to be rescued sometimes we see in television a rescue at sea we see the rescue helicopter going out there we see a line coming down and very often a man coming down on that line and he attaches it to a person who's desperately trying to keep afloat in the sea then you can see that person being lifted up rescued by the helicopter taken out of the sea and taken to land now that's what Jesus Christ can do for men and women tonight he can come to you and he offers put down his hand to lift you up out of this age out of the age of death out of the age which is condemned and which will be destroyed and which will which will, will, will bear the judgment of God forever he offers to lift you to rescue you and take you over and bring you into the new age that age of eternal life that age which is to come that is God's rescue mission which we see exhibited in the death of Jesus and the power of which flows out down through the centuries tonight the greatest power this universe has ever seen is the power of Christ's death and resurrection and by the gospel that power comes to you and to me tonight and Christ is offering to rescue you he's offering to lift you and to take you out of your sins out of your guilt and bring you out of spiritual darkness and a wrong relationship with God into spiritual light which will enable you to call God your father and love him and worship him and serve him forever and ever and so through the gospel the hand of Christ reaches down tonight I wonder is there someone here who wants that hand to lay hold upon them sometimes there are those who refuse to be rescued from a fire or from a shipwreck tragically they prefer to die and often I fear there are many people like that with the gospel rescue mission they shrug their shoulders and they say no God forbid that tonight anyone in this church should turn Christ away Christ who has come through many a sermon preached in this pulpit down over 150 years in the pulpit of this congregation God forbid that tonight when we celebrate these 150 years of gospel preaching God forbid that anyone should turn Christ away that anyone should turn their back to Christ Christ who has died for our sins Christ who has loved us Christ who comes through the gospel to us in his mercy and in his grace God forbid that there should be anyone here tonight who will turn Christ away and we pray God that there may be those who tonight will lay hold upon Christ who will clasp that nail pierced hand as it reaches out to them 
and by faith lay hold upon him who lays hold upon them and experiences power to lift and to deliver to lift and to rescue may God grant that tonight each one of us may cry out to the Lord and ask him to rescue us ask him to save us ask him to deliver us that we tonight may discover the death of Jesus Christ to be the power of God unto salvation let us pray our gracious Lord and God and Father in heaven we come to give thee thanks for the power of the gospel we thank thee that the death of the Lord Jesus is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes and grant that tonight there may be those who believe in this service grant O Lord that thou wilt help us to realize the urgency of our state help us to recognize that we are lost out of Christ and that we are in danger of committing spiritual suicide if we turn ourselves away from him and as he comes to us tonight through the gospel grant that we may lay hold upon this offer that we may trust in him that we may believe and discover the gospel to be the power of God unto salvation we pray that thy Holy Spirit may take these things and apply them to all our hearts and that tonight there may be those in this building who by thy grace will pass out of death into life for Jesus sake Amen <laughs>